had these two countries, Israel and Edom, who came from brothers. And God made a statement, a, a prophecy, a judgment on one of those nations, the nation of Edom, because of the way in which they treated their brother Israel in a particular time in history. In the second of the series, when we look at the first nine verses, God says, the reason I'm doing this, the sin, if you like, which has brought this judgment upon you is the pride of your heart. You have not considered me. You have not considered my relationship with these people. You have not considered how I want you to live. And then last week, um, we looked at verses 10 through 14, where the discussion was on in the particular way that this pride in their heart evidenced itself. It evidenced itself in the fact that they didn't care for their brother. They treated their family badly. They treated their brother badly because of the way that you've treated your brother. And, and we looked at the different ways and the different things that God had to say about the way that they had treated their brother. These two verses that we're looking at give God's description, if you like, of the judgment. Or maybe an explanation of God's wrath that comes upon them. Someone said to me at the end of um, last week's sermon how sad it was. Um, but they had read through to the end of the chapter and realised that there's great hope at the end. We're not quite at the hope bit yet. That's next week. All right, We'll cover the hope bit next week and a little bit towards the end of tonight. What we're looking at today, I suppose you say, is... An explanation of why God's wrath is upon these people. We've, well, sorry, we've heard that it's upon them, but this is God's declaration that it is coming, this day of the Lord. I suppose most of the, the things that we'll talk about tonight have to do with the justice of God. Justice is a really strange word. It kind of gets our emotives up and down. We like the idea of justice until we understand what justice entails. Justice entails the fact that that which is not right is dealt with. We like justice towards us because we like things happening rightly, but the consequences of wrong behaviour, whilst we know it's got to be true, we don't like it. We don't like the idea that people are punished. I see this with little children. They do something knowingly bad, knowingly against their parents, knowingly deserving of punishment, but they're so darn cute that the parents kind of look at them and say, how could you possibly punish that little child? And justice goes out the window. And we've kind of ended up in a society in many ways where justice goes out the window. And this is important within the Christian faith because God is a God of justice. Justice, if you like, in two areas. It's a characteristic of God's. That he does what is right. He affirms what is right. That he declares what is wrong outside of his character and it has consequences when it happens. That's, that's who God is. He is a just God. And if you read commentaries and, and systematic theologies back in the 1800s and back in the 1900s and those type of areas, they often have one of the characteristics of God is his justice. And yet there is a growing number of theologies as you read them where they don't actually even have this as a characteristic of God. They talk about his holiness, but not this characteristic whereby he wants to make right what has been done wrong. 
So there's that aspect to it. God is a just God. And we're going to have a little bit of a look at that. And the second is the justice, the way that it works out in practice. Justice in, if you like, relationship with people. That when someone does something wrong, how does this justice show its way out? And as I said, there are only eight things that I think come up in this passage for us to look at. So let's just quickly go through this if we can. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. The first thing I think we can find out if we read this about the justice of God is that it is certain. This day of the Lord, it's, it's a phrase that comes through the prophets, in fact, through the whole of the scriptures, to make a statement that there is this time when God will make things right, where God's justice will be brought on the peoples of the earth. It's a certain thing. We live in, in that frame 2,000 years after Christ, seven, two and a half thousand, two thousand seven hundred years after these events, and we question this talks about this day of the Lord, but it ain't here yet. And the one thing that the writer wants the Edomites to know is that the day of the Lord is certain. We read this in the prophets. Isaiah chapter 11 says this, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Verse 9, see, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The prophet Ezekiel says, For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near, a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Joel says, Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Prophet Malachi says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. But even in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about someone who had a sin within the church. He says this, So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man, this person who says he's a believer, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord, on the day when God's justice comes, when God's wrath comes. 1 Thessalonians says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety. Peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. God's justice will happen. God's wrath will come. I think sometimes as Christians, when we, we have this concept and this understanding of what Jesus has saved us from, we now live in the sense of freedom and we forget God's promise that God will have justice. Sin will be dealt with. Sinners will be destroyed. And we fail then to have this, if you like, motivation for, for sharing the gospel with people. Because for some strange reason, we haven't got this in our heads. And all you have to do is go out and talk to people 
in the community who don't know God, who haven't heard the gospel, and they are often not even aware of this. And when you talk about the fact that God's wrath is coming, they take a step back from you and they look at you as if you've grown two heads. You have a disease. Something is wrong with you. We've got into this state of mind that justice is not something God does. God does love, right? And we think that love and justice don't go hand in hand. We're very happy to talk this, but we forget this and we don't share this and we don't let people understand that judgment is coming. So the first thing, God's justice, the justice of God is certain. It will come. The second thing these verses teach us about God's justice is that it's imminent. The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is near. Not near in the sense of time. It's going to happen very soon. Because even for like the Edomites, the Edomites had this promise made about them and it wasn't for hundreds of years before that God brought that judgment upon them. So the word near here is not there for the sense of them thinking it's tomorrow. But more in the sense of imminency, you don't know when it's coming. It can come any time. Life is fragile. I don't know how to explain this. I thought of putting a bucket of water right on the edge here so that all of you were worried that it was going to fall off. But I was going to do it just right so that after about halfway through the sermon, you'd forgotten about it. And then it's going to start banging the table. And then it would all come back to your mind again. That's the sense in which the writer is saying here, the judgment of God is near. It can happen at any time. It hasn't happened yet in the sense of the fullness of all the nations, personally. And so we lose sight of this. We lose sight of the imminency of God's justice being carried out, of Christ's returning, of the great white throne, of all peoples being brought before him and judged for their relationship with him. Towards the end, we'll look at that passage in, at the end of Revelation. We come before and is your name written in the band, Lamb's Book of Life or not? That can happen imminently. It doesn't mean that it might happen today. It might not happen for a thousand years. But there's this sense in which we have to understand God's justice is imminent. It could be now. And we have to live in that expectation because that it fires us up. It challenges us. It's like when driving. You're learning to drive. You're worried about every little thing. But then you kind of get used to driving. And it's only when your dad sits next to you and says, you're driving a lethal weapon. I hope you realise a car is a lethal weapon. My life is in your hands. So are the lives of all the other drivers on the road. You could kill us all. Ask my daughter about how she went with driving lessons with me. These phrases just go through her head. Why? Because I want her to be totally aware that every time she drives, she's driving a lethal weapon. And the life of everyone's roads is in her hands. There's an imminency there. And we forget. We become complacent. This is the second thing that Obadiah wants the Edomites to know, but also... 
the Israelites as they're listening to this, to understand this. God is a God of justice and he will bring his justice. The day of the Lord is near. Number three, God's justice is universal. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. All nations. There is no one who can escape this. God is the creator of the universe. God is the one whose very character is right and just and holy. And therefore he will have justice in every being, in every area, in every sphere of which he has authority. And that's everything. Someone can't come before God and say, I don't believe in you. So there, you've got no rights. I stepped outside of your kingdom. God's just going to look at him and say, you can't step outside of my kingdom. There is nowhere outside of my kingdom. It's just not possible. Someone else will say, well, I believed in a different God. And he'll say, there ain't none. It's me. Actually, it's not even me or nothing. It's just me. That's all you get. I made the world. I made the universe. And my character is such that I must be just. It's for all the nations. There, there is no escaping this. That doesn't mean when we talk to people about our faith that we come down and we, there's this constant pressure and pushing where we are harassing them, saying, you don't have a choice here. But we have to, at least in our own minds, and, and give the clarity that this is the Christian thought, that God is the God of the whole world. It's not an opt-in or opt-out. We often tend to think that our, our faith is a personal thing. I don't have any right at all to impose it on anyone else. Well, we don't have any right to impose it. But we have every responsibility to declare it. Because it's not just my faith, it's how God has revealed himself to the world. And he's revealed it so that we understand that he is God of all. And there is no one and no way outside of Christ to escape the justice of God. He will make all things right. And he will bring all things under his authority. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. It's certain, it's imminent, and it's universal. Fourthly, I think it comes out in, in, the, in the next verse. Just as you drank on my holy hill, sorry, a bit beforehand, end of verse 15, we haven't even got to verse 16 yet. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. God's justice, I don't know if this is the right word, has symmetry. One of the commentators said it's consistent. The punishment fits the crime in many ways. So in terms of the punishment that God brings, God, God makes it very clear that he's not being unfair. So you just have to read through the um, earlier parts of... Um, Obadiah. So, for example, verse 13 says, You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day 
of their disaster. You shouldn't have stolen their stuff. You shouldn't have taken it. They're your brothers. You shouldn't have done that. And what's his punishment for that? Back in verse 5 and 6. If thieves come to you of robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. You've stolen. The same will be done to you. There's, there's a symmetry there. There's a consistency with the way that God acts. Verse 14. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. You shouldn't have stood at the border and, and grabbed them and handed them over to destruction. Verse 7. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. You who were supposed to be their allies, who were supposed to be their brothers, you captured them and you handed them over. Well, same is going to be done to you. We read in verse 12, You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah. Verse 10, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. You destroyed and gloated. You put down, you put yourself above. You will now be covered with shame. There, there's that consistency there in the way that God acts. And we kind of think to ourselves, well, that's not Christian, isn't it? I see a couple of people nod when I say that. That, that's not what God's like. Outside of Christ and the grace of Christ, and I'm going to hopefully talk about that in a minute, that is still God's justice enacted because we, we understand the death of Christ and that Christ took our sin upon him. He paid our sin's penalty, which was death. And therefore God's justice is displayed in Christ Jesus. God will be just, it's his character. We step away from the justice of God because we're afraid of it. We're afraid of the consequences. Of it. And we know ourselves that we are not just. But the scriptures are very clear that there will be recompense. There will be things made right. You just have to go back to what we learned in 1 Samuel when we were talking about David. He cheated Uriah and he, he went against his family and everything else. And God's punishment against him was... Your wife will be taken from you. Someone will sleep with her out in the public. Your family will be lived by the sword because you live by the sword. There's this consistency to the way that God acts. He's not unfair. He's not unreasonable. He's not doing things that we don't deserve. He makes it very, very clear. You've acted in this way and there is a reciprocity that is due to you. But he's not only consistent in that, and this is what I want to get to you, looking a little bit more at the hope that we have. Sometimes people say, well, you talk about that justice. And then you Christians rock up and say, everyone's going to hell except us. That's not just. You say that God will condemn all nations and then you step yourselves outside of that. Where is the justice in there? Romans says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, his patience, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. But he's a righteous God, he's a just God. Those things must be set right. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. The wrath of God is on all people. What the Christian can take great hope in and great certainty in is that the wrath which we so rightly deserve has been taken on the person of Christ. He has suffered the penalty that we deserve. Someone who had no sin has borne our sin. And God is still just and the one who justifies us. He makes us right in Christ Jesus. Number five. Verse 16. Verse 16 is really number five and number six. It can kind of be read two ways. I was talking with Sylvia today, which we talking this one through, and it's a little bit... I think I got the impression she thought I was being a bit picky here. All right? So just bear with me if you think this is a bit picky. All right? Let's read verses 15 and 16 together. She's smiling at me. That means I'm okay. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done it, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Talking to Edom. This is a punishment upon Edom. Then verse 16 says this. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. The dilemma in translating this passage and in saying its meaning is this you in verse 16. Just as you drank on my holy hill. Past tense. Just as you have done this, so it will be done to you. So all the nations will drink continually. The question is, who does that you refer to? It can either refer to Israel. Therefore, this is a message of hope. Just as you suffered and drank the, 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 the punishment, the wrath that came upon you at Jerusalem, because my holy hill is Jerusalem, so all the nations will have to go through and suffer the same wrath. And the reason a lot of people exegete it that way is because in the scriptures there's this idea that the wrath of God, it's often given this image of the cup of wrath that they have to drink through scripture. And so the idea is just as... Israel had to drink the wrath of the people who were attacking them as God brought his judgment upon Israel for its disobedience. They can take great hope that the nations also will in the same way have to drink God's wrath. God is, his, his justice is sure for all people, if you like. So that's one way of looking at it. We're going to talk about that in the possibility. The other way is he's talking to Edom again. Because the you is just a continuation. It's the same you. You, 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 you. And, you know, if you have sentences where you mix your pronouns, people don't understand what you're saying and your English teachers get really 
funny about that. I know that from experience. Just as you Edom drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. Just as you Edom went, and the way that it talks about it, just the things that you did in Jerusalem, the way that you looted and everything else, just as you sinned, that sin has consequences, and you continue to do that. They go back then. If you take that view, looking at Eden, the idea here for this one is that, as in Romans, if you remember in Romans chapter 1, God says, you have exchanged the, the glory of God for, for creatures made by men. You have put God out of the picture and you begin to sin and he'll hand you over to your sin and you will reap the benefits of just that degradation that comes from falling into sin, being outside of God's pleasure and outside of God's purposes. But in either of the cases, the idea is that in this one, in the same way in which God's people suffered wrath, all nations will have to drink the wrath of God. And the idea here, they will drink and drink and drink. The concept that comes through about the justice of God, and this is the one that I think we struggle with the most, is that God's justice is everlasting. It's infinite. God's wrath goes to the very bitter end. People say, well, <laughs> that's not fair. The Christian faith teaches that when that final day comes and people stand before God and he and his justice separates those who belong to Christ and those who are going to take upon themselves the penalty of their own sin and he casts them out into hell for all eternity, there's an end to that. And that's the picture here. There will come a day when the wrath of God, drunk as a cup, is drunk and drunk and drunk until there is an end. Not the picture, if you like, of them being destroyed and no longer existed, but this picture of it just goes on and on and on. That's one aspect of God's justice. And we'll talk about that in a second. If the you is Edom, and there's no reason it can't be both, because both of these are taught in Scripture, the idea is that people sin. And God works in their lives to bring them back. He, he sends prophets to them. He sends people to them. He, he reveals himself to them as he's revealed himself to the world in Christ Jesus. And they continually reject him and he hands them over to their sin. And they sin and they sin and they sin until they're just so far gone. The world crashes and crumbles around them. We see that in individuals' lives as we talk to them. We see that in nations' lives. We can see it around the world at the moment. Constant rejection of God and continual rejection of God. He hands them over. That was the passage in Romans that we could have read. Just read it now. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen but being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave, him, gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. We often take that passage to show an evidence for a particular type of sexual sin. The understanding throughout scripture is this is true in all areas. You just have to look at Nebuchadnezzar and the pride God just handed him over to it until he learned his lesson. God hands them over to the consequences of their sin. This is a reason that we, another motivation that we need to go out and say, God, this is just. Turn to him while you can. Continually reject him and you will just go deeper and deeper and deeper into the consequences of being re a rejecting of God and you will suffer his wrath and condemnation. You will suffer all this day of the Lord that he's promised. Take that to note, heart. On this side, God's justice is forever. Hell is forever. I tried to think of a way of trying to explain why this was okay. You know, emotionally, Whenever you do this, people struggle with the concept of hell being forever. When I was at Bible college, I was given, we would have to do seminars in theology, and they gave me hell. <laughs> and we had a two-hour seminar. The first seminar, I told them how bad hell was, and then I said, so therefore God won't send us there forever. And all the students said, oh, that's great. It was really easy to convince them without scriptural teaching or anything else that God would not do that. Because that's the way we think. We don't like the idea of hell forever and eternity away from God. In the second hour, I had to go back to the scriptures and convince them and show them from scripture that God says, no, it's for an eternity. They left the first class happy. They left the second class totally discouraged. We don't like this. The best way of explaining it that I thought was to share with you from a sermon by a guy called Jonathan Edwards. He was in the 17th century. I've tried to fix up some of his language from his sermon because I thought you probably might not like that these are theirs and some of the funny English words. But basically he tries to say this, that it is not inconsistent with the justice of God to inflict an eternal punishment. It is not inconsistent with God's justice to inflict an eternal punishment. And he uses really only one argument in his sermon. He says this, sin is wicked enough to deserve such a punishment. And such a punishment is no more than proportional to the evil of sin. He says, what we fail to recognise is how wicked, he uses a really old English word, sin is. How bad it is. And to understand that God's justice is in proportional to the amount and the thing that we do wrong. 
And so he's going to go on and share, and I'll do it very, very quickly, to show that what we actually do is eternal, infinite in nature. And therefore God's punishment of that is also infinite in nature and therefore just. I'm going to do this really, really quickly. Feel free to ask questions of Daryl afterwards. If the evil of sin is infinite as the punishment, then an eternal punishment is no more than sin deserves. And this is his argument. It is our obligation to love, honour and obey God. And it is our obligation that that love, honour and obedience is without end. That's our obligation. And if we violate that, then we're violating an infinite obligation. He puts it this way. God is infinitely worthy of love. God is infinitely worthy of honour. God is infinitely worthy of obedience. I used to work in a staff room. When one of the teachers would come in, a fellow teacher, first year, second year, just like me, and they said, can you go get me a cup of coffee? I said, we were the same. They had no right to do that. My reaction towards them, whilst maybe not gracious, wasn't wrong. It was appropriate. If my mentor came in, the teacher who was five or six years older and more cynical than I came in, and they asked me to do something, to go and grab a piece of paper or something, I probably said, yeah, okay. They, because of what, who they were, the position that they held, the value that they had, they had a greater demand on my respect and my honour and my obedience. The principal came in, well, again, it increased in value. Now, the other thing, the punishment due in all of those cases of disobedience is proportional. The other student who comes in at the same time as me, he just looks at me and goes, no punishment due. The mentor looks at me with that, mm, I'm writing a report on you at the end of this month. <laughs> There's a punishment there. It's not huge, but it's there. And the principal says, huh, you don't get a contract next year. There's, there's a, there's a re reciprocity. What Jonathan Edwards points out, that if God is infinitely worthy of our love and our honour and obedience, then our obligation to love and honour and obey him is infinitely great. So that God being infinitely glorious or infinitely worthy of our love, honour and obedience, our obligation to love, honour and obey him, and so to avoid all sin is also infinitely great. Sin is a violence against that infinite obligation. And so is an infinite evil. And deserves an infinite punishment. Now, I've read lots of definitions. I think Jonathan Edwards is good. But again, it's still, it is still just a way of intellectualising a truth that God has made clear to us in his word. And this is what I want you to grasp hold of. God's justice is without end. So... Those people who do not enter into a relationship with God because of the justice of Christ have no get-out-of-jail-free card. 
the punishment that God will bring upon them is without end. They will drink and drink and drink and be as if they've never been. The last two very quickly. It's justice of God is irresistible. God constantly throughout the scriptures and throughout this passage, I will, I will, I will, I will. It will happen. And lastly, the justice of God is personal. God saw their sin. I have seen what you've done. I noticed it, is what he said. He sees their sin, and I suppose that's why each person comes before God in that personal need to have a relationship. Revelation chapter 20 says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We as Christians have forgotten that. The prophet Obadiah was saying this to God's people that they would understand this. Why? Well, that's next week's sermon, but we can't just leave you with that feeling of doom upon you. It goes on in the next part of Obadiah to say, but God has provided a refuge. God has provided a place of safety. God in his justice has provided that the things we have done be dealt with. Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have been justified, made right with God through faith. And I'd like to leave you with that positive thought, that if you have come to Jesus and acknowledged that you are deserving of his wrath upon you, his justice, acknowledging that there's no way we can pay back the infinite debt that we owe him, nor pay the infinite payment that we have for the sin that we have done, but that we accept what Christ has done for us, then we don't escape the consequence of sin, which is the wrath of God. It has been carried out. God's justice here has put it on Christ, and he brings us and makes us right before him because of what Christ has done. If you have not yet done that, know this from our reading of Revelations, there's only two places you can stand. 
Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because Christ has paid your sin for you. Or you stand there and you pay it on your own. In which case, everything that we've talked about, the justice of God is on you. They're the things we need to think about. If you're not a Christian, ponder those things. Understand that God is a just God and will bring justice and it cannot be escaped. And I encourage you to come to Christ so that he will pay for you as he has on the cross. If you would like to accept that free offer of his by faith, talk after the service. Say, yes, I, I have never done that. I've never stepped into life. I've, I've, I've never acknowledged that I, I need God. I, I need Jesus to save me. If you've never done that, come up the front here at the end of the service after the song. Someone will be here and you're welcome to talk with them and say, look, I, I need to know Jesus. There, there is a need to escape the wrath that is coming. And I challenge you to do that. Now is a good time because his wrath is imminent. We just don't know. But for those of us who are Christians, you go out into the world during the week. Understand God's wrath is certain. God's justice is certain. God's justice is imminent. God's justice is universal. God's justice is personal and infinite. And the people that you meet who do not know Christ will come under God's wrath and his justice. There is no escaping it, except by faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to sing a song now about how amazing is the justification that is ours in Christ Jesus. I pray that even though we've looked at your wrath upon the world, that we might take great joy and praise from the relationship we have with Jesus, whereby we have been made right in your sight and your wrath was on him instead of on us. And you are just in making us righteous because of what Christ has done. Father, I thank you for all that you've done in Christ. Amen.